for our hearts is probably the most important thing um, in the Christian life, Lord. Your concern for where we are and how we develop in you for the Christian is central. And so, God, I, I just pray that today as we dive in these verses, um, I, I pray that we would get it. Uh, I pray that we would get Christ. I pray that we would get the Christian life. I pray that you would help us to dissect our souls and get to the core of the true meaning of life. Look, I help us help us not to finagle in emptiness. Help us not to be fooled by our understanding of ourselves that we've created. But God, I pray that your word through the power of your spirit would help there to be comprehensive transformation in our life. Real transformation, God. Real, authentic transformation. Not anything configured by the philosophies of men, but only that which can be changed through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of your spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we're, we're of course, still in Ephesians. Um, Ephesians will be in verses 15 through probably 17. We may get to verse 19 today. Um, but I think we're going to probably end on the A part of 17. I want to read this, and, and then, I, then I want us to, to dive into it. If you have your Bibles, um, whether it's on your phone or in some type of form written, if you could pick that up and let's dive into this. Verse 15, it says, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of of your heart enlighten that you may know the hope you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glory glorious inheritance in the saints you know, as, I, I, as, as I've spent time in these verses many many times over um, the time I've been a Christian for uh, almost 18 years now. And, 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 and as I spent time in these verses, I, I, I don't know that I've really come to terms with the richness and the depth of what Paul was praying for this group of people. I think, we, we're, gonna, I think we're just going to barely scratch the surface of the, 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 the magnitude of this prayer. Um, but this prayer makes me think about people over the last 18 years that I've, that, I've, that I've either done life with or I've come across in my journey with Jesus and, and, and I've experienced something. All of us are Christians, but there was something 
even different and distinct about a Christian within Christianity. And, and, and this type of person that I'm talking about is a Christian, but they, they, they had something that I coveted. They, they had something, a settledness of soul. They had, they had, they had a tranquility of heart. They, they had a humility of disposition that made me examine where I was with Jesus. This, this type of person is who I call an intimate, say intimate. Yeah, yeah, there's some people that, that, that God has worked with and they have postured themselves before him in such a way where you're rocked without them saying one single word in relation to how they walk with Jesus Christ. The most important thing for the Christian is intimacy. Say intimacy. This, this is the sequana of being a Christian. It's more important than your gifts. It's more important than you being used by God. It's more important than your exaltation. It's more, it's more important than anything in your life because this is the greatest ID marker of any Christian is that you know him. Paul in this prayer prays such a prayer today that, 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 that rivets me and, and that I have even repeated in prayer for myself and for you all as a congregation and other places where I've pastored. But, but I don't know if I've scratched the surface of the magnitude of depth and heart and desire and nutrition that is packed in these verses. And so today, I, I really want to talk about, in relation to this series on who am I, is identified as intimate identified as intimate. I want to ask you a question as we begin this text. In your relationship with God, what do you want the most? I want you to meditate on that. In your relationship with God, what do you want the most? Paul, here in this passage, is... In the theological section of the book, and he's walking through, he just walked through the Trinity, and he just walked through all of the spiritual blessings with which the Father blessed us in Christ with he in the heavenly places, and the role that each person within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, the role each one of them plays in blessing us with these spiritual blessings. The first spiritual blessing that we saw that the Father gives is that he chose us. He chose us. In other words, it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with him. Then we saw in relation to Jesus, we saw that Jesus redeemed us. In other words, he rescued us from the wrath of God and gave us identified permission to be adopted into the family of God. Beautiful stuff. Good identity stuff. And he, and he talks about the, the place of the cross in the life of the believer in bringing redemption. In other words, buying back. And the fact that Christ took on the wrath that we deserved and he was the propitiation. Based on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he satisfied the wrath of God. He, we talked about the fact that Jesus did in six hours what it would have taken us an eternity to do in hell, the lake of fire. 
sitting beside hell and death, the false prophet and the devil and his angels, chilling with them. Madness. But he redeemed us from being able to spend eternity with God's wrath. Saladat. Then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the non-stepchild of the Trinity, the Lord of our life, the Holy Spirit, the one who we call an it and a what and a, and a who and a that, the faller, the smoke that we call him. But we, we found out that he's more than that. He's Lord. <laughs> that's, that's what we found out. And we found out that his role in our identity is to complete it by sealing us. And the seal will be broken when, when Lord Yeshua returns. That's when it will be broken and opened up to the fullness of community with the Trinity. Beautiful stuff. But then Paul does something I like that he does. And I, I want to start doing that, just spontaneously praying. See, see, see you, I, I, I like the old head church Christians. You know, when, when, I, when I tell them a, 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 a something, I say, man, can y'all pray for me? Man, because he said, oh, God, in the name of Jesus, and lay hands on my shoulder. And just, first, it scared me. But by the time they finish, I'm tore up, just almost on my knees before God. Because when they began to pray, I entered somewhere that I know I can be, but I've never been before. So, so, so Paul begins praying. His prayers are legendary. His prayers are legendary for the church. And he goes down and he says, in these verses, he starts with, for this reason, because I heard of your faith. Now, it's interesting that he says, for this reason. Let's not pass by that. For this reason. Because he said, it's pointing to Paul is moving towards praying that these spiritual blessings that God the Father has provided through the triune Godhead will now be practically experienced in the life of the Ephesian church. So he says, for this reason, based on verse 14, when it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And because of God's glory, he says, for this reason, because I heard of your faith. Stop. I like this. Paul, 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 gets, Paul gets it here when he begins talking about hearing about the faith of the Christians. If you remember, I believe we talked about this idea of, of when we talked about the gospel-centered life a few, uh, what, what, a couple of months ago now, when we began to talk about the concern of the apostles for the stability of the Christians that trusted Christ and they have commended to the Lord's grace. If you remember in Acts chapter 20, when Paul left the Ephesians and he said, I'll never see, I'll never see your grill again. I'll never see your face again. And they broke out crying and walked him to the boat and was weeping like, like crazy because they knew they would never see him again. But he writes this letter back uh, and, and he says, he says, words getting back to me about y'all. Like, like, I'm blown away by what I'm hearing. Like, I'm not getting a bad report. Paul, every time he got a report, he not only wrote in bad reports letters, he also wrote a good report. And he says, I've heard about your faith. And the churches, all of the churches are finding out and being rocked by what God is doing among you. And so, and, and what, what, what about them are they finding out about their faith? About their faith. Now, it's not just it's not just that they're believing God for stuff in general. 
when it, when it talks about, about their faith, it's talking about the stability that was acquired through them continuing to walk in belief in the gospel and allowing the beauty of Christ's work on the cross to continue to impact their lives on a, on, on a personal basis and a daily basis. Stability. In Acts chapter 14, when they went to check on the churches, they went to strengthen them. Why? Because they were concerned about their what? Their faith. Their faith. Who was the object of their faith? So he said, the object of your faith still stands in a rock right now that you're still in a, a, a viable and intense relationship with God. One of the things that I hate is when someone says someone's on fire for God. I hate that. You know why I hate that? Because it makes it seem like it's abnormal. In other words, that's a unique group of Christians who really love God in a particular way that other Christians don't, so they're a little more fanatical. We're going to talk about that in a second. However, this was spoken of, of the whole community of Christians, not merely one special group of Christians that had a unique relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, but they were intensely in love with and passionate about Lord Yahshua. And you would wonder about a Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that he's talking to them now about an intensity of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and their faith towards them. But somehow in between this point and up to Revelation, when John wrote um, in, in, in the latter part of the first century, they had lost their first love. They had good doctrine. They had good apologetics. They had good outreach, but they lost intimacy. They were able to do the external church stuff to make them look healthy, but their soul caliber was on empty. But here in this section, Paul is talking about a spiritual vitality that when Jesus comes back later to talk to them, um, um, not comes back, but presents to them through the angels of the church there, that there's something different that happened. But then he says, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. Let's, let's stop here for a second. Now, again, we're walking, just walking this line by line. Now, what's interesting here is now he's talking about the level of their commitment to the Christians within the immediate community. Uh, most commentators uh, agree with the fact that these cats are talking about people that are actually present together in the local church. That's why it says love towards the saints. This is not merely love that you give to everybody. This is, he's talking about love, even though you're supposed to love everybody, you're supposed to love your neighbor. It's pointing back to Jesus' desire for the church in, when he prayed his high priestly prayer in Acts chapter 17 and his exhortation in the middle of the upper room discourse when Jesus was chopping about, in, in, uh, in about verse 12 of John 15 about his desire for uh, the Christian church. And so, and so he, he's talking about their love towards one another. And this love has been made, love in my mind, and many times has been made into a shallow ditch of a word among those who are in the faith and even in the world. However, the Bible uses that word in a different way. It's, it's, it's a more deep reservoir for the stature and character of a Christian. So when we talk about love, we throw I love you around. You know, I, if you like me, I was one of them dudes that back before I got married and before I was, of course, a Christian, where I just fell in love hard. Now, I wasn't in love. I was in lust. But I was one of them dudes, I just, I love her. You know, and I'm just in real hot and real tight, and it takes five minutes, and I'm just clack clacker, you know, just rocked, 
by this person. We're not talking about a shallow love that happened quickly. We're, we're, we're talking about a shadow, a, a love that because Christ expressed his love, God expressed his love for us in Christ, that has so impacted the community of the saints that now they look at one another that way, right? And Jesus says, this is to be a mark of what we're like, John 15, 12 through 17. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that you lay down your life for your friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Wow. So he's talking about him showing love through giving his life and teaching them everything that God says, not a portion of it. He says, you, do not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, meaning remain. So that what's the purpose of this type of community love for one another? What, what, what happens here? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Um, now, remember, some people quote that out of context because they think that if I just ask God for anything, he'll just give me whatever I want. That's not what it's saying. It has to be in his will. Check out 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, now, so that you will love one another. So it's showing that Christians should show preferential treatment towards Christians. When you look in Galatians chapter 6, we're laying it out. We're laying it out, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this. Stay with me. Galatians 6.10, it says, so then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Many would say, and I would agree with this, that in the, in the carpos of God, the fruit of the Spirit, love is the emulsifier of all of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The thing that holds them together is that idea of love. In addition, it is the fragrance and it's the most powerful spiritual gift. For the Christian. And he lays this out beautifully, and I'm explaining why in a second. So someone could be spitfire mad at you, right? And, and you show them love, and either it scares them off or calls them to repentance. I like the way Horner says it. Horner says, he says, thus, in his Ephesians commentary, probably the definitive work on it. He says, thus, this love seek the highest good in the one loved. That's beautiful. The highest good for a person. So when he's talking about love here, he's talking about loving someone in such a way that you seek the highest good for them, even though you may not benefit from it. <laughs> and, and that takes intimacy. We, we're going to walk through this, but he's giving a caliber of, of, of what is happening among them, right? Then, then, it, then it points to the believers are to love one another in order to show the world that they are disciples of the Lord, he says. So therefore, this love is deeply connected to what is proceeded from it, their faith in the Lord Jesus. So now, we see that he says, I'm hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus, but I'm also hearing about your love for the saints. In other words, you can't say you have faith in the Lord Jesus and it not be connected to love for the saints. 
even if you're frustrated with them, even if you disagree with them, there is a posture and a disposition that we must have with one another as a community that if you don't properly um, execute the scriptures in love towards the saints, then your faith in Jesus is waning. So he affirms them. He said, your faith is beastly. He said, but it's also shown in vertical and horizontal. It's both and, not one or the other. Right? But we act like love of, we like, act like love, Christian love is radical. It's not radical. It's normal for the Christian. I, I, my man Derek Webb, I tweeted about this not too long ago. He says, I'm getting tired of being interviewed for or asked to endorse books that are about radical Christianity. He says, especially when those books typically use the term to describe what should be garnered variety everyday Christianity. It shouldn't be the work of the radical to reach out to those who are different than them economically, racially, or sexually. It shouldn't be the radicals who are caring for the poor and giving a voice to those who are invisible in our culture. Being radical shouldn't be a prerequisite for being in the business of, of, of restoration, not just of individuals, but everything that God has made, including his good creation. And calling those who are doing nothing more than making the necessary connections between what they believe about God, theology, and how they love God and their neighbors, ethics, radicals, only isolates this group from the populace of confess the confessing church all the more giving a comfortable excuse to those who have simply made Jesus easier to follow. Raising some question as to what they're actually following. And to those looking in from the outside, it's much easier to mar marginalize or ignore the radicals of a group than to identify them as actually representing the core beliefs of that group so let's stop using this language, calling something great or radical that is only good. It's radical or nothing, folks. <laughs> so when Paul, I know we, <laughs> we got to move, but I know we're just in this little section right here. But I, I just believe it's so important that we need to stop segmenting the real Christians from just Christians. There's only Christian. There are no category of Christians. There are no different categories of Christians that we create to make ourselves better. It's basically to call out someone as something that's not unique to you wanting to be that thing. So it's very, very important that we understand and walk in this reality. Then he says, I, I don't cease. I got to move. He says, I don't cease to give thanks. I just like his prayer life. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I, I didn't mean to say this, but how much of your time with God is about you, not your heart for someone else? How much of your prayer time is about God give me, God I need, God do for us, but God is not really and what's the, what points to me about Paul's prayer life, and which makes it so potent, is that his prayer life was saturated heavily with the heart to see God work in the lives of others. But then he goes down and he gives the anatomy of his prayer. So he, he, said, he said, what makes me pray for you is your commitment to the Lord and your commitment to the saints, the local church. 
your commitment to it. He says, and I'm always praying for you. Every time I get on my knees, every time I, I, I go out under the fig tree or in the woods or while I'm on the boat right now on lockdown, you know what I'm saying? Know what, know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm praying for you. You come to mind. Beautiful. Most people in prison will pray for them to get out of prison, not for the well-being of others who are not in prison. Then he gives us a clarity of what he prays for, and it's the meat and potatoes of our time today. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is rich. This is, now, 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 now this, this, this is beautiful. This, 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 is, this, is, this is fantastic right here. Because the meat and tato, meat potatoes of his prayer is that God would give them a spirit of a wisdom and that he would give them a spirit of revelation. Now, here, cats argue a little bit. Stay with me. Cats argue a little bit because they wonder, does this mean the human spirit? You know, somebody says, is he asking, is it attributive meaning, you know, spiritual wisdom and spiritual uh, revelation? And what, what makes us think that, that, that this is probably more so the Holy Spirit than human spirit is the word revelation. Because what revelation means, doesn't, God doesn't give you a spirit of revelation. He gives you the ability to understand revelation. So therefore, it's probably not spiritual describing it. It's probably here should be big S, not little s, Holy Spirit. So really, this is a manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now, when I started, I thought I was crazy. And as I began to check all the commentaries, all of them said the same thing. And, and, and all, of, all of us were, were thinking through that, that. Now, this is when it's cool to be real charismatic. This is when it's cool to foam at the mouth just a little bit, just a little something right there, right? Just, just a little right here, right, right on the corner. You know, wipe it off later so people don't look, stare at you. But this is when it's good to wild out spiritually. Why? Because the Spirit, God, Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would come upon them in a way, even though he's already there. He said, but he said, I want within the fact that the Spirit is in you already because you received him as salvation, based on verse 14. Okay, he sealed you. Now, this is what I want him to do in relation to your relationship with God and other believers. He said, I want him to give you the spirit's manifestation in your life where you are able to have Sophia and revelation. Now, now this is bold. This is booming right here, because when we talk about this idea of Sophia, he's saying, I'm dropping some weighty stuff on you. I'm dropping some thick information on you. I mean, for the next few chapters, your boy is about to drop some crazy theological uh, discourses. But he says, in the midst of this, I'm praying for you that, that, you, that you'll actually understand it. Not, not that you, oh, man, that was deep. Oh, man, Paul be killing it. He said, if you come away thinking I'm killing it, you're not getting the idea of the manifestation of what I'm asking God to do within you by his spirit. And Sophia by nature, doesn't mean just having the information, but the information having you. It, it having you and it transforming you. It, it working on you. And guess what? It, it points to the Hebrew version of the word chakma that's used throughout Proverbs, which means the application of knowledge. 
So he's saying, I want the spirit of God because he knew that they were theologians. He knew that they knew a lot of that. That's why they lost their first love in the first place, because they had faith in the doctrine and their methodologies, not in the God who gave them the doctrine. So now he's praying for them that they would remain intimate with the father. Because he's afraid that their weightiness will get in the way of their worship. He's, a, he's afraid of it. So, so Paul, Paul said, I know y'all doing good right now, but, but I, want you, I want you to actually be able to apply what you're getting so that you don't become puffed up in what you're getting. And I want you to be transformed by it. So I, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in that way in your life. What is your prayer for your soul? What is your greatest desire of your soul? Well, what is the greatest desire that you want the Holy Spirit? And he's real. He's not a mist. He's not a spook. He doesn't ha he's not a haunting. He's not, he's not some specter that walks through your house that you're afraid of. He's God. And what he does is he leads us into truth, not around truth. <laughs> see, see, see when, when Jesus says the spirit of truth, when he comes... He will lead you into truth. That's key. That preposition is key because he doesn't want you to just have truth as an ornament on you. He wants you to have truth in you that changes you and that makes you soak in it and that makes you wise beyond your years. Your man, your man, um, David prayed it back, back in the day in Psalm 119. He says, your word, oh God, has made me wiser than my teachers. He understood it. He understood it. And it happens to be in wisdom literature, Hakma literature, Sophia literature, where, 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 where there's a sense in which the nutrition and the weight of what we learn and what we get actually impacts us, actually transforms us, actually changes us. And this is the beautiful thing about being in Christ is you're no more loved in Christ than anyone else is in Christ. God doesn't love someone that knows more than you. God doesn't love someone that's exalted more than you more. He loves every Christian equally. Every Christian has an equal relationship with God through Christ. Every Christian. Equal standing, equal position, equal posture, whole nine. However, we don't have equal intimacy. We have the equal potential for intimacy. Intimacy isn't equal because intimacy is something you have to run after. See, y'all not, some of y'all not God chasers, y'all stuff chasers. You want from God, but you don't want God. And when you're intimate with him, he begins to be enough for you. When, 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 when you want to be intimate with him, stuff can be crashing around all around you. Bottoms can be dropping out of stuff. Folk can be uh, 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 slandering you and acting a fool in your life. But when you have intimacy because your identity is based on him and not them, God rocks you. And see, that comes from, that comes from intimacy. That comes from wanting just not to know about him, but want to know him. I like in Psalm 103.7, it says, Moses knew God's ways and Israel knew God's acts. 
God's ways. See, Hakma lets you know his ways, not just that he's sovereign and he's omniscient and omnipotent, but not just knowing the theological framework and definition of his character, but it also, see, wisdom says, I know how to see him active. I know how to look and say, oh, that's just God's omnipotence. God is so sovereign. I'm going through this situation, and I'm, I'm frustrated with it. God won't let me up out of it. But because I know his ways, I know that he controls everything. There's nothing in my life that slips through his hands. That's wisdom, right? No, that, that, listen, nothing in your life that is not an accident. Even the thing that you feel like isn't from God is not an accident because it happened. Just think about that now. Now, in light of that, either you're going to get frustrated about God allowing that thing to continue to happen, or you're going to ask for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to give you Sophia. That's why John says, in, I mean, James says in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work in you. And if anyone lacks Sophia... <laughs> So, so, so he's not changing anything. So the situation's not going to change. And you doggone no sure God ain't going to change. So somebody, somewhere, got to change. And that's probably us. And we need to begin to say, God, I'm real frustrated with you right now. I'm just, I've been trying to act like I'm not. I'm really, I'm, I was trying to project my emotions on the situation and the people getting on my nerves and my job and where I am in life, my school, my teacher, my professor, whatever, my wife. My, I've been trying to project my anger and my hatred onto them. But really, God, I'm ticked with you because I have forgotten who I am. That you said anybody that walks in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. That's an identity issue. So you've forgotten where, who you are and the fact that the one who made you who you are runs everything. So then you say, God, I need you to help through the Holy Spirit to give me a spirit of host, uh, a Sophia. That the spirit would help me to now apply the knowledge that I have up here that it will saturate and it will uncage my heart from the way you are. Because you can know something theologically but practically in your heart, still functionally act spiritually immature in relation to the information you say you know. But what happens is, is when you begin to wrestle with God in trials, when you begin to wrestle with what God is like, when you begin to wrestle with that theology, then you begin to say, God, I really don't believe it. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me. It's a struggle every day because most of us by identity think we don't deserve certain things. <laughs> I don't deserve that, Pastor Larry. I don't deserve that, Pastor. You know, babe, I don't deserve that. Who do you think you are? You were saved and chosen for this. You were chosen to deal with exactly what God put you in. And God is not going to let you out. He's not going to let you out. He wants you in the midst of it to say, God, I need the Holy Spirit by his power to help me apply all this stuff I read. God, I, I, like right where I am, God, rock me. Like, and I don't feel like it. Listen, I've been in prayer sometimes where I'm actually frustrated and scared what God may do if I pray the hard thing. 
<laughs> I don't know if y'all been, see, I, I'm the only one that's been there. And so I, sometimes I'm in prayer and I know God ain't going to do what I want him to do because he's not a sucker and he can't be bribed by worthlessness. Because every what, what can I give him that he doesn't already have? <laughs> so, so how can I bribe him? So then I got to just break down and say, I, right, I'm tapping out, God. God, work on me and help me, Lord God, <clears throat> to never, and, and that's when your intimacy becomes real. Because, because many of us present ourselves to God in a, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm getting ahead of myself. But then Paul, sorry, the wind blew my page off. All right, there we go. There we go. Plat out. All right, we back. All right, then he says that the Holy Spirit will give what wisdom and revelation. Now, revelation means, this is beautiful. This is a massive word in the book of Ephesians. Now, generally, it means the disclosure of information that was formerly unknown. That's what, that's... The basic meaning of revelation. Um, that it was unknown or partially revealed and not fully revealed. Okay? That, that's the meaning of revelation. Now when he's asking to give them revelation, uh, 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 the, the Holy Spirit to give them revelation, check it out what he's talking about. It's beautiful. This idea of revelation in the book of Ephesians does not merely point to the word of God in general. Or our examination of the word of God through prophecy or preaching. It is more used to describe the gospel as the revealed mystery. So when you look at the book of Ephesians, the word revelation, is, when we, and we'll get to it when we get over to Ephesians 3, I don't want to give it all away. But he's basically asking, not that he'll, they'll, he'll just give some type, you know, an angel show up in their room and be like, got a revelation for you. You know what I'm saying? Um, and how, I mean, I know we've been in situations where we've been so frustrated that God, I'm really, I don't know what to do. Can't you just angel me? Now, you, now if he sent an angel, you, you're going to faint, right? You, you're going to, don't act like, don't ask for that. He's not going to give it, okay? But what he's saying is, is he says, I want the spirit, because this is the context of Ephesians, to give you a deeper and richer understanding of the work of the unveiling work of the gospel. Now, one of the things that he's going to talk about throughout the book all the way to the end of chapter 5, when he talks about the mystery of marriage, is he said this mystery is great. What is he talking about? Really the mystery of the gospel revealed in Christ, not the mystery of marriage. So really, Ephesians 5 is not about marriage. I'll get there. It's about the gospel and marriage being an illustration of it. So here he's introducing the idea of this. He wants us. How do, somebody said, well, I know, you know, the fall of Adam fell, and I know that uh, sin came to all of us. He's the federal head, and death came to all men based on Romans chapter 6. And I know that um, Jesus Christ was proclaimed in types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? He was prophesied and all of that. Then it said he came, the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And then he lived the life we could never live, and then he got on the cross, 
died for our sins. He got whack, 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 beat up. Then all of a sudden he got on the cross, crack, crack, went to sleep, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He died, went, they put him in the grave. The rich dude, Joseph, came and got him, pulled him down, closed him up. Then the, the, the dudes divided his garments. Then he ran, put him in the grave. Then he got out the grave third day. Ladies came and saw, proclaimed it to the apostles. Then he hung around for 40 days, going through walls, chilling out, and all of that. And then you're calling me to repent of my sin, right? Turn from who I think I am, and then turn towards who he'll make me. And then he, if I have faith in him, he died the death that I never die, lived a life I can never live, raised from the grave that I can never get up from. And, and, and if I trust him, turn away from me, turn towards him, I'm saved. Plot out. So I got the gospel. Yeah, but it's a continuation of God unveiling where you need to repent. Where you need to repent doesn't end when you trust Jesus. <laughs> That's the big repentance. Now you have little repentances and you have to return back towards him every day. Now we're not talking about getting saved again. We're talking about him continuing to save you. And you got to continue. And guess what? You die every single day. He's asking God to reveal to them. God, give them a spirit of revelation of the gospel. Where they need to repent. What cross they need to get on. What, and he's going to talk about idols in chapter 5. I ain't going to give away the whole book. But then there are some resurrections. That when you die. And these many repentances. These many pointings to faith. All of these different ways, guess what? God raises you from the dead in a new way where you were dead in your life and not spiritually, practically connected to God. He says, I want God's gospel to have that impact on the Christians, that they may understand and practice God's truth, but not only understand and practice God's truth and be transformed by that truth, but also allow the gospel to begin to continue to be the revelatory thread throughout the whole scope of their lives. Then he goes down and he says, when he said, let me read the whole verse so we can get the, get the thought. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, don't pass that word. This is one of my favorite Greek words. It's the Greek word epigonosko. Say epigonosko. Oh, I love this one. I love this one. This, this, this word is not just knowledge. It's a certain type of knowledge. It's used in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, I believe. I can't remember. Verses 3, like verse 5, some other places, and verse 7, I believe. And this word is a unique word because it's not just gnosko, which just means knowledge in general, but the epi on it gives us a sense of something else. It can be translated true knowledge. True knowledge, authentic knowledge. And, 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 and the depth of what that true knowledge is, is relational knowledge. Knowledge that comes through a relationship. Stuff that you can't just get on the fly, but stuff that only comes through a relationship with God through Christ. This text reeks of intimacy. Reeks. Reeks of intimacy with God. It's saturated with intimacy with God. That you would know him. What is the purpose of salvation? John 17, 3, we say it all the time. That you may know God the Father and his only son who he sent. So he's asking them to be able, he's praying for them that they would, that all of their practice of the, uh, the word of God and their understanding of the gospel would cause a deeper intimacy with the God of the gospel. <laughs> so the apostles were very concerned 
about people's depth of heart of knowing God. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament on intimacy is Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now what's interesting is they saw that based on seeing Jesus and experiencing these guys. And when they experienced these guys, they said they remind us of that rebellious dude. That one who got put on a cross, Jesus, my greatest goal in life is not that people would know how much I know. My, my greatest goal in life is not to see what type of platform I can get. <laughs> my, my, my greatest goal in life and what I would love to be remembered by, and I hope all of us is, is that we would reek of Jesus' intimacy. That when people get to know you, when people pass you by, there's something about you, really someone about you, that, 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 that is abnormal to the average human being. Not Christian, but average human being. That there's an intimacy with Jesus Christ. That you know, that you, they say, they say you, you, that cat spends time with God. That, that lady spend, she's been with Jesus. He, he's been with God, and he's been with them for real, and this Christianity thing is not affecting. If you want some deep evangelism, get with Jesus. I know you've read Ravi Zacharias, and you know, you've got all, uh, you know, all the sites to talk about how to apologetically, all that. That's fine. If you spend time with Jesus, and the pores of your soul have the aroma of the cross, the aroma of Jesus. I'm telling you, when you start talking, you will begin to so reek Jesus that the Holy Spirit brings transformation because of Jesus, not because of you. And I'm praying that we would become a people of intimacy. That we would become a people of intimacy with God. That people will, will recognize us and say, they, they, they love God, they love one another. They, they just reek of Jesus' intimacy. Even people that don't know God, I pray that they say, I don't know what it is about y'all. But I, I like it when Cass said, but you real about it, man. You know, I was down one, when I was down there, he said, dog, you know what I'm saying, dog? You know, uh, I don't know what he about you, dog. You know what I'm saying? But it's, a, it's, a, it's some old, uh, what I'm saying, fool, uh, some old, it's something just unique or something. You know, you know, what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying? I know, man. It's something, you know, I don't know what to call it. Like, they, they need to run out of adjectives because it's hard to describe Jesus. In your life. That's Paul's prayer. Out of everything you want, I know some of y'all running after wanting to have a husband today. It got real quiet. I know some of you all are running after wanting to have a wife. Some of y'all running after just wanting to wild out. Just get yours. And I'm telling you, it's not important. As important. Now, I'm not saying they're going to say, see, the pastor's them saying it ain't important to get married. I'm not saying that. Don't walk away with that. But I don't want you to idolize something being added to your life, making your identity more firm. 
See, some of us, our dissatisfaction with where we are drives us to add to our flesh, thinking that it will transform our soul. If I just get a spouse, I know I'll be satisfied with Jesus. If I just get a house to myself, I'll spend time, I'll, I'll just know if I get the right outfit, if I get the cute girl, the fine one, you know, God, I got to have that type. You know, if I don't have that type, then you know, I, I can't be satisfied with you. God, I need to move. God, I need this education. God, I need this. Nothing that you're going to add to your life is going to bring you closer to God. Nothing that you're going to add to your life is going to transform your life except for Christ. Set aside Jesus as Lord in your heart today. 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 Set him aside in the throne of your soul. And want him only every day you wake up. Every most of our depression comes from wanting everything but him. But the very one who we avoid the most, listen, is the one we need the most. Be transformed today. Renew your mind. Renew it. Stop striving. Nothing else can do anything in your life worthwhile except for him. Some of you are running. Sexual immorality is your way. I need some. Getting lit, that's your way. Developing your status. Stacking chips, your stacks being grotesque is what is your passion. There's only stack, one stack that works. And that's the stack of a cross on your back. To get up off your behind and carry it daily. And knowing that when you're under the hardness of a cross, that's your greatest, highest place of exaltation. Because James says in James chapter 1, let the humble man in hard circumstance glory in his high position. Your exaltation most of the time comes through loss, not through gain. Never. The kingdom is backwards from earth. God doesn't work like that. He always adds through subtraction in your soul. Always. Always. So stop running after cisterns that can hold no water at all. But go to the true river of life, the fountain of life that always has fresh water for you. Smash your idols today. If you're the idol, smash yourself. <laughs> smash yourself. I'm going to stop. But I'm praying that Paul's prayer would hit us. I'm praying that it would hit me. I need greater intimacy with Jesus. Forever, I will need greater intimacy with Jesus. And when we spend eternity with us, guess what we'll get? It'll take an eternity to get more intimate with Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christian. You, you, you don't know Christ. You, you've never met him. You may have grew up in the church, and you were on a choir. You were on the praise team. You were an alkalite. You wore a robe before, and you thought that was salvation. You had the name of the choir right here in cursive. You marched in, but you wasn't 
one of the ones who's going to march into heaven with us. You've even been baptized. Nothing saves. Same thing I was telling the Christians. Nothing else. Same thing for you getting saved. Nothing else. But Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Repent. Repent. It's the sweetest thing. Facing your sin is the hardest thing, but the most glorious thing that you can ever do. Facing that you have no identity. And you need the living water, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He'll give you an identity if you come to him. Come to him just as you are, but I am guarantee you, if you come to him by grace alone, through faith alone, through him alone, you won't stay the same. If that's you, that's you, we want you to, I want you to capture the fact you know you don't know him. If, if, if you're here and you're not sure, you're like not, really not sure, like you're funny about it, you don't really know, I think don't question it. You need to know. John said, these things I've written to you that you may know you have eternal life. So if that's you, we want to walk with you. We want to disciple you. We to, we want, but first we want to see you come to Jesus. Back on the back table, I'm telling you, fill it out. Fill out a card, tell them. Lay on there, I, I want to trust Christ right there. And we, listen, we want to get with you. We want to sit down and talk with you and engage you with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, you are the Holy One. You are the Awesome One. You are true life. God, and I pray that we would be identified as intimate. That's, that's the prayer. Those who, those who know Jesus, <laughs> help us to know Jesus. <laughs> that's the prayer. Those of us who know Jesus, help us to know Jesus. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> but help us to know him and to want him. Help him not to be an alien in our life. Jesus, we really want you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you, God, will you cause your spirit to manifest upon every person under the sound of my voice that's a Christian, that's been transformed by the gospel? Will you bring Sophia to them? Well, will you bring through a manifestation of the Holy Spirit an understanding of the revelation of the gospel in our lives, in the mighty name of Jesus, that we would be renewed, that we would be challenged and transformed every single day. Help us to quit running from you and run towards you. Stop running from you, towards you, from you, towards you, from you, towards you, in the mighty name of Jesus. Everything in our life boils down to a lordship issue. God, thank you for chasing us. Thank you for come getting us. And I pray you would explode prayer lives throughout this church. That people's time with Jesus would explode. <laughs> that their time in the word would transform them for real. That our time in community, small groups, will transform us for real.
with other Christians. For real. Lord God, will you sever every place of unhealth out of our lives? Sever it. Sever it. Sever it and prune us. Although pruning is painful, it deepens our intimacy with you. We love you, God, and want you. In Jesus' name, amen.